Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. My name is Holly Upton. I'm part of the Women's Shepherding Team here at Cotswold, and um, I'm going to be reading from Revelation 5, verses 6 through 12, and you can find it printed in your bulletin. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures, and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sitting to all the earth. And he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless, thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who has slaughtered to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that um, you tell us what to do uh, when the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, and that is that we're to pray uh, to your Father, the Lord of the harvest, to raise up workers uh, to come and join uh, you in your work in the world. And so, Lord, we pray for that. Uh, We pray Uh, that you would raise up uh, more people to serve at Hope, uh, to serve you and to serve our city. Um, Thank you for all of those who are standing for uh, office tonight. We pray you give us wisdom as we think about who to ordain uh, to lead us as uh, deacons and elders in your church. Uh, And we thank you for those who already serve in that capacity. Uh, We thank you for our staff like AK and uh, Emma and Ben and... uh, Lord, we thank you for your grace um, to give us uh, people who want to serve you by serving us. And we pray now, as we open your word, uh, that you would uh, set us free from the sins which so easily entangle us in our consumer culture. And instead, Lord, help us to experience your grace that leads to gratitude that results in generosity. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, um, as we continue our six-week sermon series on generosity, uh, we come today to a very strange passage from Revelation chapter 5. The book of Revelation is what's known as apocalyptic literature. It was written by the Apostle John near the end of his life at about 80 AD to describe a series of visions that he was given by God about what's taking place in eternity while you and I toil away here on earth. 
Apocalyptic literature, like the book of Ezekiel or like the book of Daniel or like the book of Revelation, is always full of similes and metaphors because much of what humans see in heaven we don't have words for here on earth. And so the best they can do is draw analogies between what they saw and tell how they're like things that we have experienced here. But there's another reason that these visions sound so strange to us, and that is because of how American culture is shaping us. Cultures cultivate. That's what they do. And so our culture is kind of unique in that we have become so affluent that in our generation, our culture has begun to expertly cultivate a purely materialistic approach to life. As a consequence of that, Many of us suffer from what Paul Tripp calls eternity amnesia. Here's how you know you've got it. Tripp says this, Eternity amnesia makes present pleasures more magnetic and seductive, and present difficulties more painful and disappointing. So we obsessively work to experience the good thing and in anxiety do everything we can to avoid the bad thing. This way of living makes us crazy in ways we may not be able to recognize. Well, crazy how? Trip goes on. We're living as if this life is all there is. If this is all the life we have, then the name of the game is this, experience, possess, and accomplish everything we can right here, right now. If you're not moving toward a glory so glorious that it will overwhelm any of the pain that you suffer, then this is all the glory you will ever get. So don't sit on the sidelines. Don't find reasons to say no. Pack everything you can into this moment because this moment is all you're ever going to have. Well, in our passage today, Jesus gives the Apostle John the cure for eternity amnesia so that the Apostle John can give it to us. John begins by diagnosing our problem. Verse 1 of Revelation 5 says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. Sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. This is a picture of our existential dilemma. The scroll in God's right hand as he is seated on his throne explains his perfect plan for creation. But there isn't a single human being in heaven or earth who is able to understand that plan because none of us are worthy to open the scroll or even to look at it. And why not? Well, because of what theologians call the noetic effect of sin. The Apostle Paul describes it 
to his Ephesian congregation this way in Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. He says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from life, the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because the hardenedness of their hearts. You see, due to our fall into sin, every single one of us is born in the world with a hardened heart and with a mind darkened to God's divine design for our lives. And so what do we do? Do we humble ourselves and admit that we don't understand what the heck is going on here or how to find life? No, we try to find it on our own. And we look in all the wrong places. Jesus described this in Matthew 16 when he said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Now, you'd think that we'd have this figured out by now, because all you have to do is look at people like Tom Brady, Jim Carrey, Miley Cyrus, and ask yourself, how happy were they when they experienced, possessed, and accomplished everything they could right here, right now. How did that work out for them? You don't have to guess. Uh, they've told us. Tom Brady put it this way after winning his third Super Bowl in an interview with 60 Minutes. He said, there's times where I'm not the person I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? And he kept looking. Giselle, three more rings. Now he's doing Dunkin' Donut commercials. Well, what about Jim Carrey, right? Canadian actor and comedian. He was doing an interview with the Ottawa Citizen and said this, that early in his career, he believed that he was that making just one more film, getting just one more hit would be enough. But he got tired of being emotionally disappointed. This is his quote. You just go like, yeah, it was a, a fantastic hit, but what now? Carrie's advice, I think everybody should get rich and famous and everything they have ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And what about Miley? Well, she has to buy herself flowers, right? She is very lonely, right? And yet week after week, I hear the Charlotte version of this. Mark, when is Mr. Wright going to come along so that I can live happily ever after? Or, Mark, listen, I know I'm killing myself right now at the job, but in a few years I'm going to get that promotion, and then 
I'll be happy. Or, how do you like my new car? Uh, The truth is that many of us have come to Charlotte in our quest to gain the whole world. And somehow we're surprised when our souls start shriveling. But thankfully, uh, God has a cure for eternity amnesia. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took, down, took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You see, this, this seven is kind of a perfect number in scriptures. And so what, what John is saying is, this is God's perfect plan for our lives. And Jesus is the one and only perfect person who can open it up to us and reveal it. You see, God wasn't content to consign us to an eternity of hardened hearts and darkened minds. And so what he did is he chose for himself a people and promised them throughout the course of redemptive history that he one day was going to send a human being who would reveal to us God's perfect plan for our lives. In 2000 BC, he told Abraham's family, that this person was going to be a descendant of Judah, who was Jacob's son. In 550 BC, he revealed through Moses that this person was going to need to sacrifice himself like a lamb to deliver us from the angel of the Lord that would pass over the people of God to deliver them from slavery in Egypt by killing the firstborn son of every person in Egypt who didn't have the blood of the lamb over the doorframe of their house. And in 1000 BC, he told King David that he would be one of his descendants and he would sit on God's throne. And the New Testament is super clear that Jesus of Nazareth was that long-promised person, which is why Matthew 1.1, the very first verse in your New Testament, begins this way an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And why God showed John this metaphorical vision for Jesus. Notice what he sees, verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, first promise, 2000 BC. The root of David, third promise. 1000 BC, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Promise number two, 1550 BC, standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. 
He was perfect in all of his ways, right? We sing this in the good, good father song. He was perfect in all of his ways, which are the seven spirits that God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. What John is trying to explain to us is, listen, Jesus alone knows how you can experience the full life that God designed you to have. Jesus alone is able to provide you with perfect peace and perfect joy and perfect purpose and perfect power. So what's the secret? Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20, 35, when he says this, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Which is easy to say, but hard to live out. And yet Jesus did it. He didn't just come and preach it. He accomplished it. God the Son gave up perfect living in heaven to become the peasant son of a rural carpenter in Nazareth. The righteous one gave up sinless living in heaven to come down here and experience betrayal, hypocrisy, injustice, torture, and murder at the hands of the people of God. The author of life came to endure the death that our sins deserved so that he could give us the life that he deserved. And why did he do it? Because he knew something that never crossed our minds. Lasting happiness can only be experienced by attaching your happiness to the happiness of someone else. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way in the quote we put on the front of your bulletin. He says, The most benevolent, generous person in the world seeks his own happiness in doing good to others because he places his happiness in their good. His mind is so enlarged as to take them, as it were, into himself. Thus, when they are happy, he feels it. He partakes with them, and his happiness is their happiness. Which is why throughout all the New Testament, when any apostle is writing a people, a letter about the good news of the gospel, they say, hey, listen, this is why we're writing this, so that our joy will be complete. We're, we're, we're proclaiming this good news to you so that you will be happy, so that you'll be found joyful and delighted in the sufficiency of Christ to save sinners, and your happiness is going to complete our joy. Jesus attached his happiness to God's glory and to our good And so he lived a life of self-giving and personal sacrifice rather than self-glorification and consumption. This made him the only human being in all of human history able to truly understand and reveal how you can experience a joy that transcends your circumstances. Verse 9, they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals, because you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Understanding this is the key to experiencing the full life Christ came to give us. In John 15, 9-14, through Jesus put it this way, As the Father has loved me, so I 
loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than that he lay down his life for his friends. Here are my friends if you do what I command. If you lack joy, Jesus says, the reason is probably that you're trying to find your life. And as you try to find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will love your brothers and sisters, your friends, the way your elder brother Jesus, your friend, loves you, and you will lay your life down for them, his joy will be in you, and your joy will be complete. So how do we know if we've done that? Well, verse 11 and following shows us. These are people who are experiencing it. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Are you captivated by Jesus? Do you see what he has come to reveal to you so that you can experience full life. He's come to reveal the heart of God. And what's in the center of the heart of God? Grace. A willingness to sacrifice himself for us while we were still his enemies so that we could give freely what we get from him, which is more than we could ever acquire on our own. This is why Jesus inaugurated his public ministry with this completely counterintuitive public proclamation of where to find life. Matthew 5, 3-6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. You see, God loves to fill empty things. God loves to fill broken things. And so what is the sinless Son of God who purchased us for His Father, for eternal life with Him in the family of God, in paradise itself, deserve for so graciously doing that for us? Well, He deserves everything. Right? He deserves all of our power and all of our wealth and all of our thoughts and all of our efforts and all of our prestige and all of our acclaim and all of our dreams and talent and time and passion. He deserves it all. The Apostle Paul 
describes this to his Corinthian congregation this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So, what would it look like for you to experience this? When given the opportunity to worship God with your power and with your riches and with your wisdom and with your strength, well, if we really understand this, we'll stop asking the consumer question of, what will I get out of this sacrifice? We'll stop asking, is it worth it? And we'll start asking what they're asking, is he worthy of it? Does this make Jesus happy? Does it bless him? Does it glorify him? Does it bring him joy? And if it does, then I will be happy to do it. And what will the results of that be? Well, we'll find ourselves experiencing meaning and happiness and joy in ways that we could scarcely imagine. Uh, Dalton Malby, who's one of the uh, worship leaders at our South Insight, has uh, graciously volunteered to share uh, what that's looked like for him in this video we're going to show you here uh, at this time. My name is Dalton Malaby. I've been at Hope since the summer of 2021. What I love about Hope is that it's a community of people who are going through life together. It is a Bible study. It is a time for us to all get together and talk about God's Word. It's a place where I've grown a lot. Um, I've gotten to meet so many people. People stay. People grow through their lives together. And it's just been so fun to, to share and celebrate and mourn and just get excited about all the things that God's doing. I met my now fiance through the church. I uh, serve on the worship team. And so I used to not even feel comfortable playing music in front of like more than one person. And now I'm leading congregations and all those have come from just the sort of comfort of, of the family sort of aspect of, of what Hope has to offer. Um, it's just been such a comfortable environment for me to come into and, and learn and grow. I choose to give to Hope because it's a way to, to glorify the Lord. I mean, Hope has given me so much. It just makes me want to give Hope more. Prior to going to Hope, um, and being involved in Christian ministry. I, I wasn't a giver. I was, if anything, a material saver and somebody who judged my life based on how much I accumulated and how much I had. Going to Hope and learning what Jesus has to say about giving gave me a completely different perspective on what money is for and how you can steward it well. Uh, and it's just been a paradigm shift for me of thinking about what I earn as, as an object, and it's, it's really God's object to use how he will. I, it just has fundamentally changed the way I think about money uh, and what it's for. As I look to the future here at Hope, I'm just excited to be seeing our church body grow and our community uh, just become even closer. I'm excited to see my own life change in a number of ways, uh, to get married, to grow in that, uh, to learn what that looks like alongside people who have already experienced and walked that path before me. I'm excited to uh, welcome others into the church uh, who were at a similar place or who are at a similar place that I was um, and to kind of help and, and 
mentor and coach them where that might make sense. And I'm excited to welcome others into the church. God's word when spoken clearly, I think through a congregation has a, has a way of attracting more people to it. Um, this week, uh, those who are members, community group members, and givers at Hope will be receiving from us uh, a card uh, asking you to begin to pray about how much God uh, wants you to contribute to our Hope Overflowing initiative over the next couple of years. Um, for those of you who are visiting, I know this is awkward when you come to church and they're talking about money. The last time we did this was like 2015, so we, we, this is so rare for us, uh, and yet, uh, you know, I want you to know that we'd be happy for you to participate as long as this is out of the overflow of your heart, right? God's really more interested in our heart than our pocketbook or our time, but those things are all connected. And so if you have questions, there's a booklet you can take on your way out. Um, and we will, uh, on March 17th, is kind of when we're going to end this generosity initiative, and collect uh, the commitments for the next two years. And the reason we're doing that is because it'll help us in projecting um, how we want to pay for the growth as we begin to try to acquire properties um, here at Cotswold and at South End, and as we think about how to expand our old Providence property. But all of that is to say, today, right, what God's inviting us to is uh, to out of our eternity amnesia, right? He's trying to shake us free from the materialistic culture that we live in here in Charlotte and invite us to realize why we were here. Uh, we're here because Jesus bought us for God to be a blessing to those around him as an act of worship. Verse 12, they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the ultimate self-sacrificer and that because you laid your life down for us, you invite us to be filled with your joy completely as we learn to follow you in laying our lives down for you. We pray this in your name. Amen.